I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. We are. Wait a minute. You're supposed to add something to that. You're going to say something about your wardrobe. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I'm shoeless Paul Greenberg. <laughs> there it is. Eh, we are the CRM players. It would have been so much more fun if you had just I, said that. And then I could have tried to make a witty joke up. But now I, I don't know. It's too late. Moment. Blue the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I am shoeless. I, I'm actually, dare I say, I'm sockless. I'm, wow. I'm kidding, but I, I, you know. It's it's the uh, the perks of being able to do your show from the confines of your own place. And the good news is both of us are wearing pants. Oh, uh, yes. Definitely just, pantalones just are clear. on. That's yes. right. Just to be uh, clear. Oh, and now we can officially start the show because we now have our moment of spin. There it is. <laughs> Hello, Prince Sven. <laughs> Your highness. Oh, look who's here. Stephanie. Stephanie. Hey, Steph. Steph. Oh, God. No, I'm, I, I can't get, <laughs> hey, Steph, I'm wearing socks. Right? I can't get pedicures with socks on. It doesn't work. <laughs> oh, like, boy. It just means Hell cutting yeah. holes in socks. And leave it to uh, somebody. Bob Fagel. <laughs> it's got to be Bob. Shoeless Paul Greenberg. Love it. There it is. And no, yes. I, I'm not, wow, <laughs> this is uh what was that? Um that uh, may he rest in peace. I'm Norm McDonald and you're not. Was that it? I'm Chevy Chase. Oh. That was I'm Chevy yeah, Chase. Yeah, that's right. And you're not. That's right. So, yeah, sock was what a pair. Yeah, that's that's our new a show name. Feet. Socks it's a pair of feet. <laughs> We're announcing a new show. <laughs> that's right. No sock and shoeless. It's like Starsky and Hutch. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, hey, by the Turner. way. I don't, yes. We, we, this show has got to end like right on time today because you know what happens later today, right? Uh, well, I know what happens tonight. Yeah. yeah but... I, I need to, I need to get going early on that because, you know, I, I don't know if I could take two losses in a week, man. That'd be tough. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be rooting you on tonight. Believe me. <laughs> I do. I know, Jeff is on a roll out there. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got um, so basically in that picture he's got a tie, a blue shirt, and cargo pants. Right. <laughs> well, see, see, my new business casual is a t-shirt with a pocket. Oh, oh, look who it is. Actually, we were wrong. So Sarita, it's not Bob. whoa. She actually oh. told me on the call. She was way to go, Serena. Woo-woo. So for those who don't know, Serena runs AR for Sugar CRM. She's cool. Yes. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. Oh, I think this is like her first time joining us. I think. No, I, she least, was linked leaving a comment at least. Maybe she was a. She had said she had some issues leaving comments, but she was a LinkedIn uh, user. She was been LinkedIn user. She told me. Oh, okay, cool. So, so all the good comments that are LinkedIn user are probably not. If it's a good comment and it's LinkedIn user, we're just going to assume that it's not Bob Fagel at this point. Then that it is Sarita. Yeah. All right. That's cool. All right. Um, Guess what? I I, I broke out a, a brand spanking new, never worn before. Wow, Rams hat. Yeah, see, nice I like this work. one because it's got like I you know it's got it spelled out, and then on the side. Oh, that's what the other that? side. Let me go to. See, oh, got, the, the, the new logo. logo. On the side now, yeah, I got the nice. logo on the side. 
Oh, that's What's that, that little forty-seven group. That's the brand forty-seven. Yeah. No, that that well, what you're pointing to is the logo. The the brand is on your left side of your head, right here. Right. right. That's on, that's the forty-seven. That's the Ram. Yeah. That's the Rams logo. <laughs> I need more. I need more coverage because you know. I, we need to do something different. We got killed last week. So. Yes, you did. So this week we'll uh, reverse it. Who are you playing tonight? The Sea Hags of Seattle. That's gonna be a good game. I yeah, I know that's my problem. I don't want a good well, game. I want destruction and mayhem and chaos. I don't like good games. Well, it's a winnable game for the Rams, though. Yeah. All right. I'm we, I'm gonna go in the no comments zone. We keep talking about this too much. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So that would be funny we, if you went into it during the show. <laughs> don't don't test me. You don't <laughs> want to test me. All right. So uh, we do have a really cool guest uh, in a couple of minutes. Uh, you we just did a, a little thing on TikTok last week because it was TikTok World last week, and and we did a little snippet. And we talked a lot about it. I know Paul has really been getting into it. And one of the, the people that he discovered when he started getting into TikTok is going to be our next guest, Eugene Way. Um, so he's coming up in about 10, 15 minutes. So if you have any TikTok questions, if you want real TikTok insight, you're about to get hit upside the head with it, I, I think. you know. So. Plus, there is another thing about Eugene that we actually like. We'll We'll tell him about that. You you know where I'm going with that, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. He he's got a special relationship to somebody we. Yeah. No, that's what I thought you were going. <laughs> I know. I, I got it. I got it. All right. I, I, okay. So. All right. <laughs> you're in. All right. Well, we're in, but we won't be in next week because. Well, here's the deal. So yeah, no show next week for us because I am flying to Seattle on the day of our show. To officiate my niece's wedding, which is really, really cool. That so, is cool. Yeah, well, you know what's funny? I am nerveless when it comes to speaking. I do not get nervous. <laughs> I don't have a wait a minute, wait a minute. What? What really? No yes, nerve? You not you, none. Zip. Who's surprised by that? <laughs> but no, but Tell other than this, this one. Wait a minute. I I'm also heard you like the Yankees too. Is that true? <laughs> no, no, of course not. Not at the moment. <laughs> not at the moment. Uh, I, I literally no jitters, nothing. And yet, for my niece's wedding, officiating it, I'm not nervous. A nervous? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm probably not really, nervous. but I, I will be probably. Um, what, do you have to wear wedding. like a referee jersey, or you know, how, when you referee a wedding, is it- <laughs> well? Here's the weird thing. I mean, I'm in order to do this wedding, I had to get ordained, right? So I'm Reverend Paul wow. Greenberg, which is literally, uh, it's almost That's like crazy. so bad it's a non sequitur, right? So, well, so it's so you're like the Godfather of CRM, and now you're like the right Reverend Paul Greenberg. Yeah, yeah. which, oh, but who ever heard of a Reverend Greenberg? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that I does mean, not do, work. Now, do you do you do they give you a script to work through, or do you just w- make it up as you go along, or how does that work? Well, no, that's the thing. My niece is very. My niece is like. Um, I'll put it this way: she 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 knows how to do what she knows how to do, and she's good. And so, uh, 
my brother, my sister-in-law, my niece, and uh, the fiance basically told me, here's what you're saying. <laughs> right? So, uh, <laughs> I, and I am going to follow did exactly. They, did they, wait a minute. Did they give you like a time limit? Because I know how you are with when somebody gives you a set time to talk. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't, which is good news. But <laughs> no, this is no, you have to understand that when I'm on a stage, I have no time. Obviously, I don't, I just go. This one, it's like I want to, I'm so like, want to make sure it's so perfect that I want to be on the minimum time so that I don't have more time to mess it wow. up potentially. Wow. Right? <laughs> right. So, I, I want to make sure that I, I am in do, doing exactly what they need when they want it, so that when they think about it, they'll say that was perfect. Other than that, wow. All right, okay. So Sarita's team is the Sea Hags. It looks that way, and she's by the way I, diehard I, sports fan. I don't hate the Seahawks, honestly. You know, I really only my my hate level is only has risen over the last two decades for one team and one team alone. So. Yes. So I will take it easy on the sea hags. I'm still calling them that. Well, that's right. Take it easy from there. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so no show next week. He will be officiating. It always, when they say officiating a wedding, I always like, is somebody going to throw a left hook or something? Or, you know, is, that's right. Somebody asks, oh, <laughs> is and, there, <laughs> and the groom is down, right? <laughs> yeah. Down goes the groom. <laughs> it looks like it's, right. a, it's an automatic eight count. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. So that's uh, news item number one. News item number two is before he heads to Seattle to do the officiating thing, there is a conference. Uh, I think that's on Tuesday. Yep. HubSpot Inbound is doing a conference, and HubSpot is one of the companies that you have to watch in the industry. And so before we let Mr. Greenberg get on the plane to leave and all that, we are going to do a kind of, you know, kind of shortened uh, watch party. And it's a morning. Is it like, are we going to call it brunch since we brunch. called the other one dinner? Are we yeah, calling this one brunch? Brunch okay. and a brunch, brunch, which brunch with scotch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm to think. Well, I, I, the brunch last thing I ever want to do is associate us with champagne, right? You know how oh, people no. eat champagne at brunch? Forget that. No, That's we're Brian. not doing that. Brian Solis owns champagne. Yeah. He can have yeah. It. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're That's more Brian. like warm beer or something. I don't know. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> no. I don't want to go that bad. I don't want to go that but, bad. But anyway, so uh 10 30. I guess we'll start at 10 15 then. So yeah. 10 15 East Coast time on Tuesday, the 12th. 12th. October 12th. Yeah, the yep. 12th. Uh, we're gonna do a uh, you know watch party because their keynote is is one of those that we think is is important and interesting and it's always cool to catch Brian and Darmesh and now they have their new CEO who will be a part of it. Uh, so yeah, and it, we'll put up a, a registration page. Very, it'll be up by this evening, and you can join us again. We had a great great time with the uh, Dreamforce keynote. That I mean, that was like nonstop action. Yeah. Full time, full time uh, activity, the entirety of the thing, and and afterward. Well, that's yeah, Champaign, right. Illinois, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, I will I will say the right name for the rest of the show, just in honor of Sarita being with us. 
here today. Uh, by by this evening at uh, game time, that's all out the door, though. So yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> okay. Now, before we bring on our guests, um, I just wanted to say a big thank you to all the folks who checked out the conversation that I co-hosted with our mutual buddy, Ron Miller from TechCrunch. Uh, we were talking about, uh, what you know, pretty much where has the tech industry gone in the last 18 months with respect to what happened in response to George Floyd? It was a, it was a really awesome conversation. I'm going to play just a short clip. Um, this was about a 75-minute conversation, so I, we can't play it all. Uh, and I can't even play all this clip, but I just want to play a piece of this clip uh, just to give you a little taste of conversation, how real it was. Uh, check this out. It's important to realize that even black leaders are learning along this journey. you right. Like, I'm learning language to describe feelings I've had since I was a child. Right. That, that I didn't know, that, that I only was able to channel into like resentment and anger at first. But now there's language and nuance, words around it, so I can communicate with my non-white counterparts. You know, as a black founder, um, you know, we were sitting at home, the pandemic was booming, there were racial, you know, race marches in the streets. And I've got a, a, a company of about 100 folks and we're all over Zoom. And so my question is, man, what is my role as CEO in this moment? Question one. Question two. What is my role as a black founder during this moment? I've All right. I gotta, I, I, I'll just leave it at that because uh, those questions that he posed were really some things I hadn't even thought of. Um, but the, the, the conversation was so good. Um, it, me and Ron were saying afterwards, I can't believe that 75 minutes went by that fast. There was such good stuff. Matter of fact, uh, I invited our buddy Ron to join us and give us just a short little piece uh, of his take on it. First of all, Ron, thanks for making time to doing this today. Thanks, sure for, thanks for joining me. Again. Hey, hey man. No. <laughs> thanks for joining so, so us. I want to point out the team that Brent hates is uh, <laughs> 8 and 12 since the beginning of 2020. <laughs> so. He's making me feel a little better. Yeah. But <laughs> so one and three this year, seven and nine last year. So not not doing great. Not doing great. But you know how not, nice you know, a guy Ron is. He's some, not even gonna some, mention uh, that other thing, right? Yeah, I mean I, I don't know about <laughs> you really I don't, don't want to do it. it. I do understand don't. that Paul is upset with a certain team. I'm I don't know I'm why. I'm really, but... <laughs> I'm really, really not. That's the thing. I'm actually <laughs> I'm rooting for the Red Sox to beat Tampa. Good. Wow. Good. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's big. That's big. So I, I have to tell you, this... but I thought, I mean, we should probably talk about what we were going to talk about. But there was a really funny line in the Globe yesterday that if Giancarlo played for the Red Sox, he'd bat 389, have seven homers and 100 wall singles. <laughs> wow. That was amazing. That, that was the oddest wow. single I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another day discussing the fact that Yankee fans should actually appreciate the guy as opposed to say, oh, he's doing meaningless things, right? <laughs> I've never seen a guy hit a ball harder, I have to say. <laughs> no, a no. single. All right. Yeah, Ron, give us give us your impressions yesterday. I already shared mine, but what, what did you? You know, you know, it was just, it was a fantastic discussion. Um, you know, a very candid discussion <laughs> about what black leaders face, um, you know, 
on a daily basis, but particularly in the aftermath of what happened uh, with the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, kind of what really hit me, uh, you know, I was talking to my wife about this today, was that, you, you know, and something I did bring up at the, at the, at the, uh, at the panel was, you know, this kind of burden almost that was placed on these folks because of their position and really because there aren't enough black leaders, right? And so because, you know, these folks are in a position of being leaders in their organizations, they were like these kind of de facto role models that, you know, whether, and, and as, as Alan said, he didn't have any idea how to be that role model. And I just thought, you know, this is just another unfair aspect of this whole kind of, uh, you know, racial reckoning that we're going through right now. And it's that, you know, if we had more black leaders in place inside business, then, you know, there wouldn't be this kind of requirement that, mm. you know, other folks have to kind of turn to them to understand what their, you know, lives are like and what, you know, what they face on a daily basis at work. And that really struck me. Yeah, the, that whole conversation went in some directions uh, that I hadn't even thought of before. And so, uh, you know, the recording is out there. Anybody <clears throat> wants to check it out, please do so. I'll be posting clips on, on uh, Twitter and, and LinkedIn as well. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't have asked for a more interesting and more real conversation. It was there was no script. We Ron and I were like, we do our jobs if we just throw out something at the beginning and and pretty much melt into the background. And yeah, that's those pretty guys, much what I mean, they, they had a great conversation. And, uh, you know, at one point towards the end, uh, you know, Libra and um, I, I can't remember the name of that gentleman from from Salesforce. Um, oh, Craig Coffey. Craig, Craig, Craig. Um, we're, 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 we're essentially mentoring um, Alan, you know, and it was just like, yeah. we're just sort of sitting back and going, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is just a seriously good and interesting moment, um, you know, to have these these three people kind of discussing, you know, how, how they how they take things on. Absolutely. All right, Ron, thanks so much for sharing that. I uh, really appreciate it. And and we're, we're we already talked about doing this again uh, at some point in time in the future. So uh, thanks again for your time. And yeah, wow. I really enjoyed All it. Right. And thanks again for having me. You know, whenever you have me, it's always a pleasure. Absolutely. And uh, I think Paul would join me in saying go Red Sox, apparently. So. This for this round. All right, I'll right. then be rooting for the National League. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get to, on that note. <laughs> get beyond that. It depends. If it's the Dodgers, are you still going to be rooting for them? No, <laughs> I'll be rooting literally for no one at that point. I'm only one to Giants to basically win it all again. I like them. I always like wow. them anyway. So, well, no, I know like that would them. make one of our friends very happy if that. Right. Yes, it would. Several <laughs> of them actually, but one particularly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I All, right, Ron. Ron. Take care, All right, All right, guys. All right, Ron. Bye bye. See you, man. Bye. I love that guy. Yeah, that man. I do. Yeah, he's, he's a great. I guy. still don't understand how he can write five articles in like twenty minutes. But I, yeah, I well, I think he thinks them into existence. I don't think he actually uses tools. <laughs> right. I want that. <laughs> I want that. All right. So now uh, we got a guest. We're going to be talking about you know at least a certain part of this is about right all about TikTok. So why don't I play that little clip from last week that sort of sets the stage for why 
TikTok is something that, you know, you might think it's for kids or something, but not anymore. And especially it's for business. Uh, let's check this out. By the way, that actual background music is used on Burger King commercials. <laughs> I was wondering why I was getting hungry. <laughs> 44% of users want branded content to be fun. And here, brands don't just advertise, they entertain. And that's possible with the help of our creators. We know our way around TikTok. Whether it's making videos, using features, or connecting with people. Like this right here, and that too. So what does this mean if you're a brand? Well, check this out. Our feed ads are 23% more memorable than TV ads. And our top few ads outperform TV I didn't realize that's the same guy. I didn't really, it took me a while to, yeah. to understand. Yeah. Like we've never seen before. Filled with endless I just can't, I do not like looking at this dude's lips. To redefine the way they connect <laughs> oh. with each other and the world around them. Welcome to TikTok. All right. Thank you, Mr. Lips. All right. So I'm going to leave it to you to introduce our guest. This is the first time we're having the pleasure of him joining us. Here is Eugene Way. Hey, Eugene, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? Good. Well, let me, good. Uh, let me uh, praise you to the skies for a minute before we get into the discussion. Um, so I won't object. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I met Eugene, meaning I ran across who he was after I had a conversation a few months ago when I began realizing that we're into this kind of generational transfer of power and that TikTok is going to play a significant role role as a medium and um and i was talking with phil venville who happens to be the resident intellectual over at thunderhead and he said you need to read this uh these posts by eugene way and i said who's that and he started describing who you were and letting me so i went to eugeneway.com and he's there with three posts of course at the time third post was already at the top by the heap which is american idol and being you know in my early 70s i printed them all out <laughs> Not realizing you are actually longer form writer than I am, and I am known as a really long form writer, right? That the yeah. third post actually prints out to thirty three pages, but <laughs> goodness. Well, but in in the but these I have to tell you, uh, from the standpoint of both insight into something that's a that's not just a medium, but a phenomenon too, uh, and into not just the 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 actual medium, but the algorithms that driving the medium. And also, by the way, you happen to be a fantastically good writer um, and understood that you had this very long post. Uh, we'll get to that in a second before we continue. But uh, I read three, what I think are three of the best posts on anything I've ever read, number one. Also, as well written as that, number one. Number two is it gave me enormous insight. It led me to... Uh, you know, let's call it um, anecdotal testing because it's not really scientific uh, on TikTok that let me test the algorithm. And it literally pretty much did everything you said it was going to do, you know, or implied mm -hmm. or explicitly. And 
And the other thing, which I thought was just from the standpoint of understanding content, and this isn't really the probably the, the least noticed thing about your three posts, because I've run into other people who have met them, who have read them rather. You organized the third post, knowing it was very long, and mentioned that you're organizing it to be use it as if you were using TikTok, right? Which is hmm. basically scrolling up on the post, right? Which was really kind of a really, really creative way to handle a long form piece of content. So first, and then of course I, you didn't have a ton of other posts, but I read all your other posts while I was there. And then I one day happened to be talking with Ann Chen, who, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I was telling all people, I was telling like everybody about you. And I mentioned your name to Ann Chen. She said, oh, I know him. And I thought, oh, Salesforce works with him and blah, blah, blah. And she said, no, he was the best friend of my college roommate. And I'll let Brent tell you what she said more recently uh, in a minute. Yeah. But he was the best friend of my college roommate. Okay. And Brent, what else did Ann say based on yeah. that picture? Oh, it's so funny because she is literally texting both me and Paul right now as, as yep. I put that picture. So uh, Eugene, uh, she told me, or I don't even know if you're aware of this. Did you know that you were her dog, Minnie's dog father? <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. She said, uh, what, what time is Minnie's dog father going to be joining you in Paul? I was like, really? Okay. And so That's awesome. Yeah, and, so we were like, oh, anybody that's a dog father of many is a friend of the show. So <laughs> absolutely. And by the way, the, the the thing she just texted us, I don't know if there's any way to show it, but you really actually, as the dog father, should see it. I don't know if you can show it, but you know what it is. Uh, I mean, don't worry, that's all right. Don't worry because we want to get to the. I might be able to get to it as if we, we get can. Into the show. This is yeah, literally a picture of. Mini watching oh you God. on the show <laughs> from a couch. All right, yeah, this is going up somehow, some way. It'll we'll be getting this one. Keep it's talking, Paul. Awesome. So, all right. So let's let's you know. Mm -hmm. I would you know part of obviously you, you've had. I noticed you kind of characterize yourself on LinkedIn as a what, a tech and entertainment products guy. And then mm -hmm. looking at your history, I see Oculus in the history. You know, I mean, you have you have a let, without Amazon, of course, where you more or less began. Yeah, I think you had mm -hmm. one thing before that, but mm -hmm. Amazon. You but you've been involved in a lot of sort of at the time they were um, disruptive or potentially disruptive and leading edge. Mm -hmm. You got involved, mm -hmm. and so I, I think before we get into TikTok per se, what um, I mean, how did you start thinking? the way you think, I mean, and that might sound like a broad and somewhat esoteric question. It's not really because you have your, your perspective is, is very much the perspective of how do you realize a future that actually is going to occur? Right. As opposed to I'm a mm -hmm. futurist really spinning science fiction, right? Mm -hmm. you, you're actually, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> how meta is that? Wow. That is the best. <laughs> it's the, uh, there's the old far side, uh, comic strip that's, that's on the internet nobody knows you're a dog <laughs> that's what it reminds me of <laughs> so tell me tell me what what mm -hmm. led to, and you know maybe it started in childhood but whenever it started but what led you to to sort of think of things the way you do because again i find your perspective incredible really 
Oh, thank you. Well, that was a very kind introduction. Uh, I. I think early on when I joined Amazon, you know, the internet was just becoming, um, you know, the next thing. And, and back then, honestly, I didn't even have time to, you know, have a meta perspective on what was happening. You're just running so quickly to keep up with everything and everything's moving so quickly. And I think it was only after I left Amazon and I, I took a few years to go into filmmaking that when you look at the industry, when you're not like involved in day-to-day -day operations and you can look back, you start to get more perspective. It's easier to think. Um, you're also not, you know, when you're inside a company, you're also drinking the Kool-Aid really hard. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be there. And so it tends to distort your ability to just step back and objectively see what's going on. You have to believe in a thesis so strongly when you're an operator. So I think the breaks I've taken from, being an operator allow me to sort of look with a more objective eye at like what's going on with everything. And, you know, the internet is also, um, I guess if you adopt like the Carlotta Perez framework of, you know, medium shifts in the world, the internet is starting to enter more of the deployment phase where we're starting to take it for granted as part of just the fabric of the world. Rather than, you know, back in the early days of the internet, people were still writing articles about Amazon going bankrupt and, you know, how mm. all tech companies were overvalued. And it's hard to remember that now if you didn't live through that era when there was just a lot of skepticism and doubt about whether the internet was really such a disruptive thing. And, and now clearly it is. And probably it has its more impactful days still ahead of it. Um, so at some point when you just accept it, I think then you get, you start to be curious about what are the patterns of this complex system? <laughs> what are the real effects of the internet on the world? And it also takes some time, you know, a lot of the things that I've written about that have gone viral have been about social media, which I haven't necessarily worked in directly, but social media has been around long enough now that I think we can start to see certain patterns, dominant patterns having emerged. Whereas in the beginning, it was all just a free for all and it took a lot of extrapolation. So I don't know. I'm curious about how complicated systems work. Um, yeah. And yeah, my first job at Amazon was in the uh, strat planning department. So I had to build this, you know, so strat planning, the job is you're the counterpart to accounting. You're really providing forward uh, earnings projections and you're trying to forecast what your financial statements will look like out a quarter, two quarters, a year, whatever. And to do that, you actually have to understand how the company's finances and operations interact in order to make any, you know, meaningful projection. And so I think I've always had a little bit of that inside me, you know, curiosity about, can I predict the future? <laughs> uh, if I want to predict the future of a Facebook or an Instagram or a TikTok or, or these things, I actually have to figure out how they work. Otherwise, it's mm -hmm. impossible. So hey, quick question. You mm -hmm. said something, sorry, I just he said yeah, something okay. about taking uh <clears throat> maybe we've all taken the internet for granted or taken kind uh, of all these things that we have for granted. What do you think the impact of Facebook going down and crashing with WhatsApp and, and Instagram for that a couple of days ago? It it almost felt like the world of communications stopped for mm -hmm. a certain amount of time. Do you think 
we we all kind of took all these things being there for us for granted and what impact if any any long-term impact do you see for one of these big pillars going down like that and and people not being able to communicate as fast and as easy as we've kind of taken for granted mm-hmm. just for that short amount of time what what yeah. what impact do you see in that sure yeah natural phenomenon like that natural experiments like that are, are a great way to help you understand just how embedded things are in your life um, not just facebook the other day though that was certainly a great example um, we know that outside of the us facebook in many countries you know you go to somewhere like taiwan or, or something like that they don't really use the web as much as we do in the west and so the facebook makes up the internet you know if you want to look up a restaurant you look up the Facebook page. There's no web page for it, or hmm. there might not be a Yelp in that country. And so, you know, in other countries, they probably felt it even more than we did in the US. And I certainly felt it. You know, there were certain, some people who I only communicate with primarily through WhatsApp. And for a period there, I was like, oh, actually, I don't even know that person. <laughs> like, how, how, would I, how would I ping that person? Like, I guess I could look up their phone number or text them. But, you know, you have groups set up. And, and so... Uh, you know, it's the same thing during the pandemic, right? Uh, power, power goes out in Texas uh, in in the heart of winter, or supply chains right now are still disrupted all over the world. I uh, small thing I shipped, you know, a birthday present to my sister in Chicago. Normally through FedEx or UPS, you expect they're like, oh, we'll get it there in whatever three to five days, and then the thing was just sitting in some warehouse for two weeks. I tried to ping them like when is this package going to be delivered? And they're like, yeah, no one's even picking up the phone um, at the warehouse. Um, you have container ships sitting on ports in Asia um, that aren't being loaded. Uh, there's, you know, there's a sense in which we only tend to appreciate something when it goes away, because a lot of it's just invisible to us day to day. We just take these things for granted. So um, I saw a really interesting paper about weather patterns in the Bay Area here, which I lived through during the pandemic, because, uh, you know, at the start of the pandemic, they cut off so many flights that used to fly over the uh, Pacific, be from the U.S. to Asia and vice versa. And it turns out that when you reduce <laughs> the volume of air flights by so drastic an amount, it actually affects the weather patterns. Um, <laughs> Wow. And the, yeah, you normally <laughs> would never be able to conduct a natural experiment like that. But the pandemic really, you know, forced us to live through a bunch of weird natural experiments. So, yeah, I uh, the 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 thing about the Facebook outage, though, is that um, I don't know that there's an easy way back from that. <laughs> you know, we really have come to rely so much on that infrastructure for a lot of our communications. And, uh, you know, think about AWS outages. When AWS goes down, you suddenly see all sorts of services you use go down simultaneously. And you realize how interconnected everything is in this network. Just like, you know, we couldn't, you know, we had toilet paper shortages in the beginning of the pandemic because there was no slack in the system. Um, So there is a certain amount of risk that comes with (laughs) closely interconnecting all of our systems like this. So let's, I'm going to actually to that point, 
So when I let's take it to TikTok because there's a there's a very interesting broader discussion going on around that, which is so look, we you know, we live all of us really live in the one way or the other in the enterprise tech world, you know, different areas of it, but we live in it. And you know, the enterprise tech world, because it's the enterprise tech world, and I say that meaning it's more like the big systems world, you know, so it'd be, it could be CRM and CX and things that we're focused on, but it could be supply chain and other systems too. Um, but the interesting thing is that the companies that produce all that and the companies that use all of that mm-hmm. are all trying to figure out something that right now is changing dramatically to them, which is we have, okay, so we have a sort of stretched supply chain, which is actually, in my view, some, some resilience really, given that it should, it should have broken a lot worse than it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, you always found places it broke in the first world part of it, but not so much, you know, a, a lot of, and many more in the third, but, you know, but it sort of more or less held up. And, mm-hmm. but what's happening is all these companies are trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, now the millennials are fully formed adults and they're 40 years old and they have families and mm-hmm. uh, and they're in decision-making positions in business. And the Gen- then Zers are now earning money on their own. They're not just dependent on because they're entering the workforce. And I think a number I saw for North America or U.S. was Gen Zers are, have a $143 billion. Um, I don't know if it's the potential that they actually spent $143 billion um, mm-hmm. in the last 12 months and so mm-hmm. um but uh you know and they're all trying to figure out how do we deal with that because how these people consume things mm-hmm. and when i say that content with the broadest possible definition of content mm-hmm. um how they consume is not at all like how my generation which is baby boomers or say brents you know gen x have actually done it yeah right we've no we don't do it that way and yeah what you what you discuss in the three blog post is well here's something that actually is figuring out how to do that and that goes in conjunction with what brent and i saw last week where tiktok is monetizing everything right Mm -hmm. um they have taken advantage of it so i have two questions i guess one is can you kind of for the audiences here who are really trying to figure this out how tiktok what role tiktok is going to be playing um both as a um, medium of communications, but also given what we saw last week, the role it might play as a platform too. And and that leads to the second part, which is that creates a really interesting tension because you know the power of TikTok is the fact that people get on it and do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And the minute that brands are starting to dominate it with a million tools, mm-hmm. all of a sudden <laughs> you start changing the, the way the thing works. And so... And that's platform versus ecosystem there, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so can you comment on both that? Well, comment basically on mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think we probably are living through a phase change in terms of the relative power of different media. Um, not to say that video hasn't been a super important medium in the past few decades in America, but it was largely through a broadcast configuration with uh, a few central gatekeepers, you know, TV networks, movie studios, right. dominating the use of that medium. 
And what the smartphone and social media and smartphones with video cameras did is what the internet kind of does to everything in the world. It changes it from a gatekeeper hub and spoke type of model to a network configuration where every node can also broadcast out. And the big thing, uh, I, I, there's this quote by the naturalist E.O. Wilson, which I really like, which I think I mentioned to you last time I spoke, yeah, but it goes something like uh, the problem with modernity is that we have godlike technology, medieval institutions, and paleolithic <laughs> emotions. I think that's how it goes. It's, wow. a, it's a great quote. Anyways, you can Google that it is. and find it. <laughs> but the thing I say, which is my variant, my very specific variant of his quote, is that um, the strange thing about the modern world is that we have godlike search and distribution and paleolithic emotions. So uh, mm. what social media did for the average person was for the first time in history, any person could put anything out in the world and potentially have it reach, you know, a billion plus people in the world, which that's pretty much uh, one of the most momentous shifts uh, in communications in the history of the world. You know, obviously with the printing press, some number of people could suddenly reach a lot of other people, but it was still pretty gated. And then even in the past few decades prior to the internet, yes, one person could reach a lot of people, but you had to, you know, be accepted by a publishing house, a music label, a movie studio. They still kind of pay controlled a, that. Pay a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was one way. Uh, but now anybody can you just have to learn how social media algorithms work and you know they've connected up so much of the world and they have these algorithms that choose what gets pushed out and TikTok in many ways took that to the umpteenth degree prior to that you had things like Instagram and Facebook where if you wrote something that was popular it could move fast, but it was still gated a little bit by the fact that those social networks are built around follow graphs. And so if you didn't have a lot of followers, you had to rely on people with more followings to, you know, share your thing out. And so there was a, there was still some limit to how many people could see it. TikTok came along and said, you know, if you make a great video, we will just show it to people. They don't have to follow you in it. We'll just show it to anybody mm. we think will find it interesting. So yeah, theoretically, point. if you made something generically popular, they might show it to everybody, which is a staggering amount of people. So they took distribution and they said, what does godlike distribution really look like? Well, let's put this in the heads of, you know, a hundred million people in a short period of time. Um, wow. When uh, Charlie D'Amelio, who was one of the, early TikTok stars started gaining a following. Um, everybody was, you know, if you, you could see it in your For You page, the, the main feed of TikTok, people are like, wait, why is this girl becoming so popular? And people were arguing over it. And then that just made her more popular. And pretty soon she had 100 million followers on TikTok. It took like, I don't know how long it took her to go to 100 million followers, but she might be one of the fastest social media people to get to 100 million followers wow. in history. You know, if you compare it to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, it, it seems like the cycle just accelerates wow. more and more. And so what we're living in in the video media world is really this 
networked, turbocharged uh, world where information gets really put through a railgun and just accelerated. In a way, that's different from the broadcast um, era of history. And so I think, you know, if you're looking at Gen Z, you're looking at a generation of kids who've grown up um, in a more video dominant network configuration. And we'll just take that for granted. But even, you know, look at the impact on old media. I don't know. You, you, you guys know Bill Simmons, the popular yeah. Oh, yeah. personality, right? The ringer. Yeah. Right. I, I followed his career from the beginning. I was reading his columns when he had, you know, the AOL newsletter, and then he moved to ESPN, and then yeah. he eventually got his own website. And now what does he do? He's, he, he's doing podcasts, like almost yeah. exclusively. He barely writes anymore. And so you see, even someone who grew up in the previous internet era, they are shifting strategies completely. I mean, Paul, even even all of us now talking, right? You, you said you used to write more, and now you are yeah. moving more to video. So yeah. I think everybody is is seeing, oh, okay, there are certain advantages to video over text. And, you know, I, I love writing. I love text as a medium. It certainly probably made me more popular on the internet than I would have been otherwise. Um, but you have to admit, you know, and I went to film school about this. So video and text are different mediums and they have different strengths and weaknesses. Mm. One of the strengths of uh, video uh, and even like podcasts and audio is that once you hit play, it just keeps going. And the problem with text is in order for text to, to work, someone has to read it. Like they have to actually keep moving their eyes and processing. And so if they stop, the thing stops, but you know, you can listen to a podcast while you're doing your dishes or whatever. And it's just going to keep going. Um, same way that TV used to operate, you know, people used to be astonished that, you know, the median viewer of TV would watch, you know, I don't know, five hours a day or whatever the stat was. It, it's still some staggering amount. And people are like, you know, who watches TV for that long? But a lot of the time TV was just on in the background. It's right. just like this passive medium, almost like you know, there's some degree to which you, you go see a, an exciting action movie. It's very stimulating. You go see a horror movie. It's like very intense. But there's a way in which the medium, if you just leave it on forever, it becomes almost like, a narcotic <laughs> you just it, it just like starts to just seep in your unconscious and a actually, hypnotic and a yeah, narcotic yeah. <laughs> yeah the opposite of stimulating in some ways so <laughs> um yeah i don't know i i feel like it's uh i, I know as a kid I, I think if i had grown up in the youtube era i definitely would have been watching a lot of you know these like vloggers oh. every night you know but i didn't have that so you know i watched tv or other, I read books, other mediums. So um, we're just, I think these things, you know, they battle out in the marketplace. So all these mediums are fighting in the marketplace. They're all trying to get everybody's attention. And the ones that float to the top will be kind of the ones that we all choose as an audience. You know, if we gravitate to a certain medium, advertising dollars will flow to those mediums and those will prosper and you'll have more people then go onto the supply side in those mediums. TikTok, in a way, if you just look at that as a specific example, a lot of their business model and future will depend on them first winning in the marketplace of attention, because we know attention is still finite. And then if they do so, they have a ton of optionality, because as you said, you can use short video to do any number of things. You already see brands on there making, they're trying to make, you know, hip little TikToks to advertise yep. their products. <laughs> 
we know that's already working well in other markets in the world. There's no reason it wouldn't work in the largest ad market in the world, which is uh, the U.S. Um, they have tried their, uh, you know, in China and other places to work on education as a market. Um, yep. Uh, so they're going to pursue a whole bunch of opportunities that all come from the fact that you get those opportunities if people are watching your app uh, so frequently during the day. Uh, I just I recently saw this survey of the incoming class of Harvard students. And, you know, it's one survey of one group of kids. So take it with a grain of salt. But something like I think it was 10 percent of the incoming class or 20 percent. It was something like, you know, they watched two hours of TikTok a day or something wow. like that. It's like a Jesus. staggering amount. And when I first, before uh, ByteDance had even bought um, Musical.ly and turned it into TikTok, <clears throat> I was in China and I met with a bunch of people who were telling me about Douyin, which was like their knockoff of Musical.ly at the time. It's, it was like the TikTok of China. And people in China routinely would tell me that they had to uninstall Douyin from their phone because they were <laughs> losing so much time, like hours <laughs> of productive time each day. And they were like, I, I couldn't even get any work done because I was just watching. And, and Douyin in China is even more dominant as a medium than TikTok is in the US. Um, Holy God. Because, you know, they, they just have, the US has such <laughs> a developed and advanced media market. It's just like super competitive. But in China, you know, where as recently, you know, I can even remember in my time, uh, my memory going back to China and there, there'd only be really, you know, like the three state owned TV channels broadcasting, you know, boring programming. And so for something like a TikTok to come into that market, you're like, oh, wow, this is, is completely, <laughs> uh, this is like way more entertaining than anything we had on, on, on media, um, national media. So, uh, yeah, I, I think. I think in many ways you can just look to China and say that's a market that leapfrogged a little ahead to short video as just a medium for many purposes. You know, if you look at the Yelp of China or you look at dating apps in China, or you look at any type of app that has a counterpart in the West, the Chinese version has way more short video in it. Mm. Um, and, you know, largely the internet grew up in an era where all their smartphones had video cameras on them. Um, so it's easier for them to just leap ahead and say, oh, okay, we should be leveraging short video more. Well, so just, so I, I heard this, um, I was, I can't remember where I saw this rather. Somebody was sort of jokingly commenting on the value of like, I forget how it was exactly phrased, but it was the value of a TikTok follow versus the value of a YouTube follow. You know, they were Ooh. trying to like, jokingly monetize it but uh, interestingly enough to your point uh earlier about the 100 million mm -hmm. you know fast to 100 million if you look at the scale of followers on tiktok compared to any other medium you get to wherever it is you go much faster but here's the thing mm -hmm. so for example i know when i follow somebody mm -hmm. or something on tiktok it's more like the equivalent of a bookmark. Mm -hmm. I'm not really following them. I'm just following something I want to look at later. Yeah. Right. And as opposed to on YouTube, for example, I'm following them because their channel intrigued me. So I'll mm -hmm. subscribe to the, as a subscription to the channel there. If I, you know, I'll go to the, when I say I go into TikTok, 
I'll go to follow. I'll go to just yeah. follow, and then I'll go to fo- you follow. Yeah. And but I go to you follow once in a while. I don't do it all the time. I just sort of see what's on TikTok and then I leave. Yeah. But it's but it really is a different actual um, experience, and also there's a different uh, state of of both mind and emotion that I have when it comes to why I do something, why yeah. I follow somebody, why I book in effect why I bookmark something there. It's just, it's a reminder. This is somebody, if they something comes up, I I'll, 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 like to see it. And if it doesn't come up under follow, I'll occasionally look at follow, yeah. I, you follow so I can find sure. it. And yeah. that's it. So, yeah. so the valuation side is actually not actually as stupidly funny as it sounded at the time <laughs> when I was reading it. Mm. What do you think of that, actually? Yeah, yeah I've long said that an interesting thing about the West and our social media is that almost all of them chose to build entirely around um, their uh, unique social graphs. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they're all built around this feed. There's like a feed of content that you look at and how do they source stories for that feed? They look at who you follow and they look at all the stories from the people that you follow. And then they try to pick the best ones of those to show you. So what it is, is a feed built on a social graph. But we know that people have interests. And so the, the, the weird thing is that the West largely tried to guess at people's interest graphs based on a follow graph. So you follow these people, so you must be interested in what they publish. But anybody knows that our interests and then the people we know don't align perfectly. Um, And so there's a mismatch in some ways. And I think Facebook is the best example of this because they have, in many ways, the largest social graph um, in the West. Where over time, they had to start putting in algorithms because it turns out not everything from people you know is interesting or will interest you. (laughs) And so if there's a lot of stuff that doesn't interest you in the feed, you'll stop checking the feed and then they won't get eyeballs on their ads. And so their entire business model is about trying to keep the feed as relevant and interesting for you as possible. Mm -hmm. And so the algorithm in fact is an error correction device. (laughs) It It is imposed on top of your social graph to try to remove the noise and improve the signal in your feed. But if you think about it, it's just odd that we try to approximate the interest graph with the social graph. Why not just build an interest graph? And in many ways, that's what TikTok is doing. They let you follow people, but they're like, you know, Mm -hmm. you may follow these people, but if they publish a bad video, we don't want to show it to you. We still want the videos to be high quality. So I I follow Charlie D'Amelio because I'm, you know, interested in seeing how these superstars of social media uh, use the medium and interact with kind of the algorithms to try to game them. But I haven't seen a video from her in my For You page for, I don't know, months now. I I don't even, I I know she's still publishing videos, but I just never see them. Um, Hmm. And the same thing, if you go to profiles on TikTok all the time, you you see a video and you're like, wow, this video is pretty good. I wonder if this person's made other popular videos. You can click through on their profile and you often see that that person has one right. TikTok hit and yeah. a whole bunch of videos that have hardly any views. And this is because TikTok, mm. when it gets a new video, puts it through kind of a screening panel. So they get a video from someone and they're like, they run it through some visual uh, 
processing uh, to try to identify objects and things. Um, they look at the tags that you put in the caption. But they still don't know if the video is any good. They may know like some of the objects in it and some of the subjects, but they want to know if it's good. And what they do, they test the video on like a thousand viewers and see what happens. Huh. And if that thousand person panel doesn't really react to the video or they just scroll past it, that video gets buried by the algorithm. Like they're not going to show it to anyone in their for you page. And that's why, you know, and anyone who's ever worked at like, you know, I worked um, at a film festival once screening entries, or if you've ever had to be a judge on any sort of, you know, contest, you know, that 99% of the entries are of really low quality. And that's your job as the panel to screen out the best from that. Um, it is stagger like it is staggering the the volume of just terrible short films or films that I've seen uh, working <laughs> on that. I've learned to never <laughs> take that job again. Uh, but this is this is just the way of the internet, right? Like we have more content, most of it's terrible. And how do you screen? That's that's how do you curate that stuff out? And so TikTok essentially has a really good, you know, call it a kidney or whatever, just like filtering out all that stuff and just showing you the stuff that has generated positive reactions from some group wow. of people. Amazing. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and in effect, right, this is, if you take a metaphor from the natural kingdom, like Darwinian selection, there's this concept of selection pressure. You know, what, how strong is the selection pressure in your environment? If you're, an animal growing up in the Galapagos Islands, you were protected from any predators, pretty low selection pressure. You know, you can just walk up to like an iguana on the beach of the Galapagos and club it on the head if you wanted to. Like it's not scared of anything because it's never had real natural predators. You go some to another environment, like the savanna of Africa, you know, where there's shortages of water and everything. And the animals there are very adaptive is very strong natural selection. In a way, TikTok has a very powerful uh, selection pressure on the content. And what you get out the other side is like espresso. It's, it's super distilled and strong. Uh, and every wave of social media, I feel like ratchets up the selection pressure a little bit. More and more people creating content. The algorithm has to be more and more choosy about what gets through. And... Um, it's both good and bad, right? You definitely hear about creator burnout, which is natural when you're competing with so many people and competing with algorithms just to get your stuff distributed. That's, that's yeah. very intense. On the other hand, as viewers, I think we're, we're starting to get used to uh, improved quality of yeah. you know short video. And, and uh, some of the stuff these kids make on TikTok now, it's amazing to me. You know, I went to film school, so I'm not easily impressed, but I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty sophisticated uh, yeah. <laughs> storytelling. Yeah, but story I think... Storytelling production. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think because what, what you were talking about earlier, I mean, iPhone 13 uh, Pro Max, you can almost shoot like Netflix quality video on a on a camera. And, and you know, now... That's accessible to uh, a huge variety of people compared to, you know, having to pay ten to fifteen to twenty thousand bucks just for one camera. Yeah. Now you could buy like a couple of iPhones, have them strategically placed, 
and you can basically create some kind of a video that can almost get on Netflix. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I, I love what you said. Uh, uh, I, almost, I started thinking about Hunger Games and, and then that new Netflix series. What is it? Squid, Squido, or something Squid like Game? That? Squid Game. Squid, <laughs> Squid Game. Games. Squid Game. Yeah. It almost feels, you know, to a certain extent, it, it almost feels like the old school, like the YouTube style of video is more Hunger Games in terms of you have to prove <laughs> that you're worthy of getting in front of a mass audience. Whereas it seems like TikTok kind of flipped the script a little bit and said, we'll give you a little taste. And if your little taste, you know, is something that people like, then we'll give you a little bit more of a taste. And mm-hmm. and and you get the hundred million people, you know, in, in like, uh, I don't know how long, but it, it seems like that's more fitting for, it gives more hope to creators, which is what, you know, these systems should want because mm-hmm. that keeps the ever flowing amount of content that can, you know, work through the filtration system that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, is, it, is there, is there another uh, twist and turn that you foresee in the next six to 12 months that goes from hunger games to what TikTok is doing to, to something else? Because is there an end game here? I mean, is there something where we're sorry, we can't do anything else, folks. Uh, enjoy the ride. Like, remember that old commercial? I've gotten I, to the end of the Internet. The uh-huh. dude's just sitting there for fried. You know? <laughs> yeah, are we, yeah, yeah. Are yeah. we getting close to that or are we got more room to, to, to roll here? Uh, we're not at the end point yet, but I think we see glimmers of how it's going to go. So uh, hmm. the novelist David Foster Wallace wrote this like huge tome called infinite jest and yep. one of the devices in infinite jest it, like the infinite jest referred to in the title is this mythical videotape of entertainment that's so entertaining that if you watch it you lose all will to do anything else you just watch it until you die like just sitting in your sofa and it is just like a made-up you know macguffin for that novel but it did get me to thinking back in the early days when I was working at, you know, Amazon and eventually Hulu, you know, like what is the future of like video entertainment? Because it did strike me at the time that, you know, the, the great American novel, that idea of it had been replaced in some ways by television and film. And then eventually we had the, the streaming series, you know, where we continually are moving towards like a, platonic ideal of a form of entertainment that will just keep us going forever. It might be a video game. Maybe it's not even like a TV series, who knows, but something that if we do it, we will keep doing until, you know, to the exclusion of all other desires. And uh, by the way, there, there are uh, stories of people who've played video games until they've died. You know, they just like won't stop playing. They won't eat and, (laughs) It was like so addictive. It was like terrifying. Uh, But, you know, I think it's something that has to be studied to understand, you know, what, if any, limits we want to impose on these medium. But what TikTok built, which was interesting, was uh, so go back to Netflix and the million dollar prize. They were trying to crack the code on recommending movies back then because they didn't have that many um, TV shows at the time. They They were still largely a movie based library. Um, and they were like, gosh, you know, what would it be? It would easily be, you know, worth 
multiples of a million dollars if we could crack the code on this. And they had all these teams enter, they shared data with them on an anonymized basis. It's like, and if you were to look back on the project, you'd probably say that it wasn't that successful. Um, they largely, if you look at Netflix's homepage today, they do some amount of personalization, but a lot of it is not. Like Squid Game, they just put it at the top of their homepage for everybody in multiple markets. They they realize there's more profit actually in just pushing original series that they have uh, created to the market. And they have so many viewers of their homepage that they can actually just create massive demand. Hmm. But TikTok came along and said, well, we have not given up on recommender systems for short video, though we recognize there are challenges. Just the same way there are challenges in recommending podcasts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whereas music recommendations have largely been cracked, right? If you just pick a song on Spotify and say, you know, just based on the single song, generate a playlist. Those playlists are pretty, pretty good. Like I, I frequently just use that, uh, but they're still trying to crack the code on podcasts. And, and you say, what's the difference? They're both like audio formats. Well, it turns out there are a lot of differences qualitatively, just the same way that recommending movies are hard. Movies and podcasts are really long you tend to only watch or listen to them once. Uh, hmm. Podcasts can be about multiple topics within the span of you know, an hour or two hour thing. Um, and a lot of whether a movie is appealing to you is like a, is about how it's about, what it's about. <laughs> They're like very subtle differences in why someone might like a movie or not, even if it's within the genre they like. So that's a hard problem. So with TikTok with these weird videos is like, how do you, how do you crack the code on recommending the right videos to them? Well, one, you have to know what these short videos are about. Two, you have to understand how this person feels about the video, but without making that process too burdensome on them. And they did something which, you know, whether it's by design or whether it was by chance is pretty brilliant. So in uh, seeing like an algorithm, which is my second piece on TikTok, I wrote about how the entire design of the app is meant to watch you watching the video, not watch mm -hmm. you literally <laughs> like they don't turn on the camera. I don't want people to get paranoid about that, but they're looking at, they, they full screen the video. First of all, it's like on the screen at TikTok, unlike other social media in the West, there's only one thing on the screen. And they do that because they need to know how you feel specifically about that one video. Whereas, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you uh, you have so many things on the screen at a time that it's hard to tell what the person is reacting to. And so TikTok now knows, okay, you're looking at this video. Then they look at everything that you do. Do you let the video loop three times? Do you tap the like button? Do you share it out to somebody? Do you follow that person? Every signal, every positive signal is tracked. They can also track negative signals. If you just don't even let the video finish and you scroll past it without reacting to it, that's treated as a negative signal. And so now they're getting very accurate feedback. You know, when I say they show that video to a thousand people, like a test panel, I'm, I don't know how many sh they show it to, but they show it to a small number of people. They're looking at all these signals. And it turns out even by just testing a video on a thousand people, you get pretty accurate read on whether the video is gonna be a hit or not. And what we've no learned about machine learning and machine learning recommendations algorithms in the past decade, I would say, one of the big lessons is with enough data, <laughs> you can achieve these phase shifts in quality. You can achieve these breakthroughs. 
It's like text translation uh, or text generation, text prediction. A lot of those in the early days were laughable. You know, everybody has funny stories about using like Google Translate or Babelfish back in the day to try to email someone in another country and people just laughing at what it came up with. And, and then one day it's good. And people are saying, oh, machine learning can't beat a game like Go or chess at first. And then it beat chess. And then it quickly conquered Go. And, and what happens is when these phase shifts happen, we're all just astonished because it's like bad, 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 and then great. Uh, and it was the same with TikTok, right? The video recommendations, I would largely say people are very skeptical about the quality of video recommendations. And while I don't think TikTok shows the way to crack the code on movie recommendations, TikTok really did crack the code on short video recommendations. They generated a closed loop feedback system, which is very, very efficient. Uh, and part of it is the advantage of short videos. You can watch a lot of them in an hour and generate a lot of data points. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you watch the Irishman on Netflix it takes you three hours to watch, you know, one movie, you can get very little data, uh, in between. You may get one data point, same for podcasts on Spotify. How can you give input while you're listening to podcasts? The only thing they can kind of look at is, did you finish the podcast? How far in did you get And one data point? Compare that to a music track. People listen to the same song umpteenth times. They'll hit uh, rewind. They'll hit the repeat button. They generate all sorts of signals for you that, oh, man, I love this song. It's a banger. Hmm. Uh, you don't get that with podcasts, which very few people listen to a podcast more than once. Very yeah. few people even finish a podcast. So uh, I don't know. These are sort of, I think, the things that people will start to learn to design systems to leverage machine learning. Machine learning really is just a new technology. It's like the invention of the uh, the wheel or the lever, right? Any of these technologies we invent, once we invent them, then we have to figure out how to use them to maximum effect. Yep. Um, and TikTok sorts of you know points the way towards that. Thank you. Wow. Oh, that was great. All right. There was a lot of there's a lot of meat in there, folks. Um, I'll be and I'll be watching this one again and again. Uh, <laughs> Check that out again. Um, so we got to ask you before we let you go. Uh, do you have a favorite NFL team? Ah, this is interesting. So I grew up in Chicago. So the easy answer is to say the Bears. Um, easy is good. I <laughs> I will say that I have started to think hard about sports fandom uh, as I get older. And, you know, what is the price you pay for just rooting for one team? You know, you, you obviously wow. know, you've heard of the uh, Seinfeld saying that it's just like rooting for laundry. <laughs> uh, so you read, if you read uh, the Stoics, uh, the one thing they will say is, hey, you know, like uh, dealing with life and being happy in life, a lot of it is about um, don't, don't stress or, or even Buddhists say, it's just like, don't stress about the things you can't control. You know, you should fret about the things that are in your control. But the rest of life, which is just fortune and misfortune and fate, um, try to take it with an even keel. One of the problems with rooting for a specific sports team, because the Bears right now are not good. Uh, <laughs> one of the hard real things reason. is like, you, that's your you really, real reason. <laughs> you really don't have any control over I was a Cubs fan growing up too, so I'm a very long suffering wow. sports fan until 2016. And you're like, you know, why am I? 
putting my happiness in something that I have no control over. I actually like, I have more control over my fantasy football team than I do. You know, I, I should be mad at myself if I choose a bad roster for fantasy football. But if the Bears are bad, I, I had nothing to do with that. Uh, so <laughs> my saying is like, for anyone who roots for a bad sports team, I would treat it with only upside optionality, which is you should be happy when they win, you know, revel in that. But when they're bad, I would just not watch. I, I just like, it's not my fault that like the team is badly managed and, you know, uh, and, and don't let it bother you. Uh, and you'll be happier. That's my advice. Okay, you, Eugene, <laughs> I got to tell you, we've asked that question to hundreds, if not thousands of people. We have never gotten that kind of answer. No, never. <laughs> no, most people, most people say I root for this team or they say they root for the team. And that's the one team that gets you banned on the show for the future. which is the the patriots right so (laughs) which is why my buddy martin likes to throw a dig at me there sorry yeah we are (laughs) well look you know i I think some fans get great pleasure out of rooting against the patriots that's another (laughs) side of happiness you can generate the upside of (laughs) that's right rooting rooting for another team's misfortune (laughs) (laughs) everybody should have a few teams that they just despise Well, I mean, I'll say wow. to close, I'll say one last thing. The the good news is even though you had no control over the Bears or the Cubs, you did grow up in a city that's pretty awesome. I lived there for 22 years, and I love Chicago, man. I just yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah. You, no, it's great, especially in the and summer. And you can control awesome. your choices of restaurants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great, a great but, eating city for sure. But the problem with Chicago is you can't control the weather, right? So what do you yeah. do? Do you have to leave during the, the winter parts? Because you can't control the weather and then come back when it's good so you can enjoy it. Now, if you're born and raised in Chicago, you just stay there. Or if you live in Chicago for more than 10 years, you just stay there. That's what happens. Wow, Jeff. You know, that doesn't bother you. You just laugh at other you just laugh at other cities who think one inch of snow is snow, right? Rather than just God's dandruff. Right, so. I, yeah, wow. I think when I stayed in Chicago, it's like if you stay in Chicago, you have to build that mentality. Uh, that it makes you, you know, tougher and that other people are weak. And then if you're like me now and you live in California, you say, gosh, why did I spend all that time <laughs> in this cold, cold climate? So just always optimize for uh, where you are in life. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. Yeah. And on that right, note, sir. we'll just, we'll end it here, man. This has been a great conversation. Awesome. And I, I really, I enjoyed all your answers, but. None as much as that last one. Now, that's a, that's, I won't remember for a while. I hope but, it helps you find some sports peace. <laughs> I'm going to need it by the end of the night, man, because my team is the Rams and we're playing tonight. All right. Good so, luck. So, so on behalf of uh, Eugene Way, I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. We are the CRM players, and you know what's coming next, folks. If I can only find it. There it is. Oh, my gosh. I got so many pictures on here. That picture of Minnie really put me over the edge. There it is. <laughs> we'll see you. We'll see you in two weeks, not next week. Remember, oh, but we will see you on Tuesday for the watch party. What do you call it again? Breakfast with champions? Bre- or something? Breakfast with scotch. <laughs> breakfast with scotch. Yeah, no, brunch, that makes actually, good brunch with brunch with scotch. Well, we'll be eating something and drinking. All right, we'll see That's you guys. Right. Thanks.